come this morning. We are in the uh, fourth and last sermon of a four-sermon series on God's Word. And uh, if you've missed any, we have all the sermons online. You can go back and watch the other three. This morning we come to uh, talking about God's Word and prayer. And though there is a great deal more to be said about prayer than I'm going to say today, I'm going to specifically talk about how the Word and prayer blend together in our life in these means of grace. So we are in Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 9 to 14. Hear the word of God. And so from the day that we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance and the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. He has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of our sins. Pray with me. Father in heaven, as we come to your word this morning, we come to you. We would hear your voice. We long for you to speak into our lives, into our souls with power. Father, not only give us information, but bring transformation in our relationship with you, in our love for your word, in our time of prayer, in the ways that we are in relationship with you. Come near. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been talking about the scripture for several weeks now. We've talked about how scripture is God-breathed, that it is God's word, and because it is his word, it is useful, profitable, for not only teaching the truth, but rebuking error, for not only correcting our lives and where we go astray, but training us in righteousness. But we also saw how the word is not just a manual for those things, but Jesus says, these are the words that speak of me. Come to me and have life. And so last week we talked about one of the ways that we do that in, in meditation. That God says to Joshua, and then through the psalmist, and to all of us, he says, to meditate on his word day and night, so that it would soak in and begin to shape our lives, and we would, we would live it and become what it says. <clears throat> so we need to move from just possessing the Bible in a mere technical sense, as a manual for all those things, that it, that it would become something that we possess in a more personal sense, that is soaking into our hearts and our minds as we think about it, as we meditate on it, and as we pray it into our lives. Because reading and knowing God's Word, and this is sometimes where I think we get confused, reading it, knowing it, does not give us the power to do it. You ever read it and know it and come away convicted, come away seeing the truth, and wondering where it is, I'm going to find the wherewithal to do it. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. See, the power of a new life is not in just the reading and the knowing of the word. The power of a new life is in Christ, who is the living word, who not only embodies the word, not only is 
is the Word incarnate, but is the one in whom we abide. And when we abide in Him and His Word abides in us, it is then that we bear the fruit that the Scripture points us to. We must come to Him. We must find our lives in Christ. See, Paul writes to the church, and it's interesting, he writes to the church to instruct the church, to encourage the church. You read that in every one of his letters. Any letter of Paul, there's this instruction to the church telling them, right, the, the, as, as we were saying a moment ago, both, both uh, teaching the truth and rebuking error, also correcting wrong living that he sees going on and teaching them the way of righteousness, the paths of righteousness. We see that in all of Paul's letters. So he is, he is instructing them, but he's also encouraging them to, to know the truth and to live the truth. He wants to see spiritual growth and strength in God's people. And isn't this a great list as Paul writes to the church in Colossae and he tells them that he's praying for them. Isn't this a great list? That you would be filled with all the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you might live a life that is worthy of the Lord and pleasing Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, strengthened with all power according to His might. Why? So all endurance and patience and joy should awaken something in you to hear what Paul is teaching and encouraging and praying. See, it's interesting that he not only instructs and exhorts the people, he prays for the people. This is what he says, I'm, I'm praying this for you. Right? So he not, and, and this is where we have to move past. He doesn't just instruct it and teach it. He prays it over them, and he wants to pray it into them. Prayer, in the midst of his word, embodying his word, empowering his word. Paul's prayer is a model for us of the kind of things that we can and should pray for them and how he prays for them. I mean, this is a rich list. It's one of those things that probably, at least in some regard, becomes part of our prayer life. There are a number of prayers like this that just are instructive of the kind of things that Paul prays for. But each prayer request, as it becomes our own, and we pray it for ourselves and for others, we recognize that it is simply a list summarizing God's purposes for his people, Old Testament and new. Right? These are God, this is God's purposes for his people from the, from the day he created human beings to the day that he calls out Adam and Eve into salvation after their fall to the calling of Abraham and his people Israel and giving them his word to the incarnating of his word in Christ and continuing to fill out, open up, and unpack what all of that meant into a whole New Testament expression of these things. And what Paul is praying for here is nothing but biblical purposes of God for his people. So when he prays in verse 9, as we walk down through this, for them to be filled with the knowledge of his will. He's praying that his people, God's people, would be saturated with God's word. Isn't that what he told Joshua? Meditate on this word day and night. Don't let it depart from your lips. Let it always be there, always on your lips. Or as in the New Testament, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. 
This is God's purpose for us. This is God's desire that we would be saturated with his word. The scripture, which is a revelation of his will, a revelation of his ways, a revelation of his character, of his purposes, who he is. And so Paul prays that his, the word and the will of God would dwell richly in the hearts and the minds of God's people. And he doesn't just tell them, make sure you do this. He says, I'm praying this for you, over you, into you. May God's word dwell in you richly. May you be filled to overflowing with this knowledge. And he says in verse 9, he goes on, not only be filled with the knowledge, he said with all wisdom and spiritual understanding. There's a level there that he desires, and Jesus comes and makes so clear in the New Testament, doesn't he? Because the Pharisees had God's word. They had his laws. They, they, They knew it really well in some ways. They were saturated in it. But the problem was they had no spiritual wisdom, no real understanding of what it meant to know the God of that word and to live out that word. And Jesus comes and is in great conflict with the, the Pharisees because they don't have any spiritual wisdom and understanding. He says, if you got the word, you would come and get me in the best sense of that, that you would embrace me, that you would put your faith and your trust in me. They were not wise in God's word. They were masters of the law, but they were not full of the spirit. In the church, we cannot be hold the Bible in, such, in a technical sense and be masters of the law. Cannot be full of the spirit and the grace and the spirit of that word in our lives. They had a religion of rules. So in 10, he goes on to talk about walking in a manner then that is worthy. Walking in a manner that is worthy is more than keeping a bunch of rules. I wish the Pharisees, you know, had gotten that. Walking worthy has everything to do with the consuming love for God and and an understanding then and a clear view of our own sin and our need for His grace and our need for His work in our lives. And so, uh, you know, a desperate clinging to Him through the means of grace, old and new. To walk in a manner that is worthy of Him goes beyond knowing law and keeping law. Verse 10, he says, living a manner that is worthy of him, being fully pleasing. Perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Holy, because he is holy. Fully pleasing. Do you ever desire that? Has that ever awakened in you that sense? You know, I, I don't want to, you know, we struggle so much in life. Is there ever just that desire that wells up within you that I wish I could get it right? I wish I could... I wish I could live it out. I wish I wouldn't fail like I do here and there, that I wouldn't pick and choose which ones I'm going to do, that I wouldn't have any pet sins, any dark corners, any hidden ways, you know, that, that our lives would not be faking it or pretending, but that we would be fully pleasing. And that when God looked down into the, into the depths and the hidden corners of me, that he would, he would see a heart that is pleasing to him, that truly desires all these things, isn't pretending or hiding things, bearing fruit in every good work. He prays their lives would wisely begin to express that will. They wouldn't just be full of the knowledge of it. They would actually begin to live it, to bear the fruit of that knowledge, wisely living out his word, increasing in the knowledge of God. Not just masters of his word, but a people mastered by God. 
right? The knowledge of God here goes far beyond. He says, I want you to know, have a knowledge of his will, a knowledge of his ways, right? That's the technical knowledge in some ways. That's the, that's the detached knowledge. That's the, that's the I have it in my head and I understand who God is and what he wants kind of knowledge. But then down here, as that word soaks in and as we learn to love it and to desire it and to live it, that we grow in our knowledge of him. Not our knowledge about him. But we know him. And love him. With all of our heart and soul. And mind and strength. Not a collection of facts. But a love. And a passion. And then he kind of switches gears on us. When he starts talking about power. Doesn't he? In verse 11. He moves on and kind of shifts gears. And says may you then be. And he, and he moves And it builds a little bit of speed in some sense. He's been praying these things in. And then he builds in speed. And he says, and then may may you be strengthened with all power. That's a lot of power. That you would find strength with all power, not just any power, not just a little power, but according to his glorious might, the might of almighty of God, right? His power, that you would experience this power in your lives. And he doesn't just tell them you should experience power like this from God. He prays that you would experience his power. And then he tells him why. So that you would have this enduring, patient, long-suffering joy. What I want us to see as I walk through this list is that Paul is praying God's spiritual purposes for his people as revealed in his word and his will. Right? God pray, Paul prays it. And as he prays it for them, it becomes part of God's word, his praying God's word into the lives of God's people. He prays God's spiritual purposes. Ian Bounds, it's there in your bulletin under the second point. Ian Bounds says, he who would pray well must first study God's word and store it in his memory and his thought. We see that our prayer lives should be informed by our word life, by our scripture life. And the more that we meditate on it day and night, and this book of the law does not depart from our lips, but becomes part of our vocabulary, part of our thinking and living and speaking as we meditate on it, it becomes part of our praying. And you see it with Paul. When Paul prays, he's praying God's purposes for God's people. Like I said, now there's lots to be said about praying all other kinds of prayer. That is not to say we don't seek God. You know, for our particular need for healing and for grace in, in so many different ways. But, but here, here is the relationship between his word and prayer. And that as we are a people of his word, a people of the book, right? And as it, it, and as it saturates us, then we become people who, who pray that prayer. Who our prayers become saturated by Bible thinking. Right, as we linger in the scripture and soak up its content, it becomes the heart of our praying. I love how Paul blends his prayer and his meditation on the grand truths of scripture. You notice that Paul's really hard in his letters to notice when he, sli- he slides into prayer, and then he slides into med- what I would call teaching. Other times he slides into kind of a, a meditation or just like here, it feels more like a meditation. He's praying all these things into your lives that you'd be filled with all of his power according to his might, so that you would have this patience with joy, comma, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you, right, to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. 
right? He has delivered us. He did it by delivering us from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son, into the kingdom of light. This isn't a prayer anymore. This is a, I don't, what is this? A, this is a meditation on the grand truths of our salvation, that this one that he's praying would do this in your lives with joy. He says, and, and all of this is with a thanksgiving to this one, and he moves into this celebratory, almost doxology, worship, and Paul does that in a lot of his letters. He'll be teaching, and the next thing you know, he's praying. You ever read Ephesians? He does the first part of Ephesians, which is powerfully packed with truth, and by the end of Ephesians, he's praying, and he prays for like half the chapter about how they would experience that he would fill them with the knowledge of his will, that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened to know the depth and the power of what God has done. And before you know it, he's not praying anymore. I didn't really notice the transition. He was doxologizing this one who was seated at the right hand of the Father, who, who's have all over all dominion, authority, and power. And the next thing you know, he's teaching again. So he's teaching, and he's praying, and then he's celebrating, meditating, and, and worshiping, and then he's teaching again. And by the middle of chapter 3, he's praying again. You see the middle of chapter 3, he's praying that they would know the love of God, right? The, the, the height and the depth and the whatever, and then he's teaching again. And how Paul moves from what God is saying, his word is truth. So you can't, my friends, when you're reading the scripture, that you should imitate and experience it just like that. We're reading his truth. And you cannot read it and experience it the way that God wants us to without having some motion of, at some point, your eyes just close and say, oh, my God, yes, right? And, and we begin to seek from God the things we're, we're reading, right? Or we close our eyes, and, and it is this one who has delivered us from the domain of darkness. This one, and it leads us into worship. We can't read about who God is and what he has done and not worship this God. But we're not reading it right. Right? Or turning it into prayer. Because we're thinking God's thoughts in God's presence. And as our minds are filled with God's purposes, the kind of life and soul we should have, and as our hearts and minds are filled with these purposes, God's thoughts and God's purposes, our hearts should begin to root around and look for where is this going to come from. Oh, God, would you do this? Right? We begin to ask. Jesus says, ask, knock, seek. Why? Because the one who knocks, the door is open. The one who seeks, he finds. The one who asks, he is the one who gets answered. And so as we read this stuff, we should ask. We should knock on the doors of heaven and seek it until we find it. There is power in prayer. Because prayer takes us out of ourselves and it grabs hold, reaches out to the power, right? To the Almighty, to the God who made us and the God who commands us. See, the God who commands you, He is the one who has the power to do it. The power is not in the Word and the power is not in ourselves. The power is in the God who shows us these things, reveals Himself to us. See, how do we become what the Bible describes. You ever just feel that disconnect? You read in here about these people. You read in here about Peter and Paul. You read about the Christians and the lives that they were living. You read about the decisions that they were making. You read about the fullness of the Spirit. You read about joy. You read about the fruit of the Spirit. You read about what love looks like and, and 
You ever have this disconnect? How do I become what the Bible is describing to me? How do we become in reality? When we see what God desires, what He wants us to be, what He wants us to experience. Moralism says, do it. I would end my sermon just saying, do it. Go do it. Try harder. Clearly, you're not trying hard enough. Because if you tried hard enough and you had enough faith, you'd be able to do it. What's wrong with God's people? Take you by the collar and shake you about. The Christian heart opens itself to the presence and the power of a holy God and a holy spirit and says, not in me. I can't do it. I don't have it. I want it. I need it. You're calling me on it. But the heart, no. Soul opens up as we read it, and it says, God, will you do it? Will you come near? Will you bring the life and the power and the character that's being described here? Will you change me? Forgive me. I know I'm like this, and I'm like this, and I want to be like this. And Spirit, will you purge the inner places and the dark corners? Will you fill me with the strength, all strength, Strength according to all power, according to your glorious might, so that I might be this man. I'm saying that the scripture and all of God's command, all of his will is realized in our experience as we pray it into our experience. See, I am convinced that the greater part of the work is done on our knees. And I know that is so proverbial. It is almost trite to the point that we, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we read his word and we make a list of ways I'm going to apply it. And we walk out into the day and we try to apply it. And never once did we say, oh, God, I am weak, make me strong. I am full of darkness. Pour forth your light in me. I have tried this before and I have failed. And unless you come near, right, and as we wrestle our way, so to speak, into a new heart, new heart is found in his presence as we wrestle with what we see in ourselves as we read his word and what we hear him calling us to in his word and as we stand in his presence and call down his grace to die to sin and live unto righteousness and to become what he wants us to be. That is heart work. The great changes we seek are a direct work of his spirit in response to prayer power of a new life is not in the word. It's not in ourselves. It is in God. There under your third point, it says, 2 Corinthians 9, 8, God is able to make all grace abound to you. God is able to do it. That always having all sufficiency in everything, that sounds like the prayer in Colossians 1, that you may have an abundance for every good deed, sounds like the prayer in Colossians 1, It is God who is able to make the grace abound for these things to pour forth in your life. Octavius, well, we'll jump down to Andrew Murray, says, Oh, that we would understand that the Holy Spirit is essentially a spirit of the word and a spirit of prayer, that he will cause the word to become joy and a light in our souls, that he will almost surely help us in prayer to know the mind and the will of God and find our delight in it. It is in God's presence 
in responsive prayer that these things are experienced and brought forth into our lives outside of our closet. Folks, let's walk through then in terms of what I'm trying to say here. And I think I want to say one more thing about prayer to make it, to bring home what I'm trying to say. And it's one of them is simply this, though. You know we need to come to Jesus through the Scripture. We cannot come to the Scripture simply as a manual for life, telling us how to do it. I mean, we can come to it that way, and it does speak to us that way. But if, it, if, if the Word itself doesn't point us to Christ, right, the Word itself points us beyond itself to a power and a person then like the Pharisees will end here, thinking life, you read the scriptures daily because you think in them you have eternal life, but these are the scriptures. They speak of me and you refuse to come to me and have life. So we need to come, we need to linger. When we read the word, we need to linger in his presence. We need to think his thoughts in his presence, prayerfully open to him to come. Thomas Watson says this, it's under your last point there, he says, take every word as spoken to yourself. When the word thunders against sin, think thus, God meets my sin. And if ever the word thunders against your sin, and you don't stop right then and begin to deal with God over it. If if he shows you yourself in the mirror of the word, and you don't stop and respond to him, and to begin to seek the putting off of the old man and the putting on the new man by his power in his grace and in his presence, we have stepped again out of ourselves to go do it. Just try harder. Take every word is spoken to you. When he says, sin, think my sin. When it presses any duty, God intends this in my life. God, help me do this and begin to pray about it and think about it and plan about it and ask God to give us wisdom about it, how, how I'm going to accomplish this in my life. If you intend to profit by the word, you must bring it home to yourselves. A medicine will do no good unless it is applied. So as we linger in the word, and let me give you this on prayer, and I would just, I don't know if you've ever heard it this way or not, but for me, prayer, it's this, we need to linger in the truth of God's word until the beauty and power of what is described awakens in us desire. Prayer, in many ways, is nothing but desire expressed. And sometimes a pitifulness of our prayers speaks to the deadness of our souls in which our desire is next to nil. But desire, when you start wanting something, the most vocal people are the people who want something, right? And, 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 and we need to linger in the word until it becomes our desire. What do we want? I will knock on the door of heaven seeking, asking for what I want. And what I want is what I read here. And if what you want isn't what you read here, we got another problem. But when we linger long enough to let God do his work and awaken our souls that I want to be this way. I want to be, I want to see the spirit rising up into me into life. I want to love in patience and goodness and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. I want these things. John Newton, writer of Amazing Grace, says there in your bulletin, holiness does not consist in great attainments, but in spiritual desires, in hungerings in thirstings, in mournings. When you read his word, we find ourselves mourning over sin and dealing with it. Prayer is the expression of our desires. And the word shapes, forms, feeds our desires so that we read of the life that God intends and we want it. 
until we begin to ask for it. And we pray like Paul that we would be filled with all the knowledge of his will, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that we might live a life that is worthy of the Lord, so that we might be pleasing to him in every way that my life would bear fruit, and to begin to pray that word into our souls. When we read of the life that is filled with the knowledge of his will, we think of my soul. When you read of this worthy life, you want to live that life. When you read of the, all the strength and power according to his glorious might, that you long for him to manifest his power in you so that your life would be manifestly different, that you would grow, that you would become what it says and describes. been reading in Romans chapter 6, verses 18, and well, the whole of Romans 6, you should spend a month meditating day and night on Romans 6, and you should let it not depart from your lips and memorize parts of it, Romans 6, Romans 6 to 8, really. Um, But in Romans 6, he does talk about that uh, we should consider ourselves dead to sin, but alive unto God in Christ. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies. In verse 16, it says, sin shall not be your master. And in verse 18, it says, he has set us free from sin, and we have become servants of righteousness. We need to first sit in there, soak in there. Let it soak into us in there. And it should become this passionate prayer that my life today would experience a freedom from sin and an aliveness to God that I would be a servant of righteousness in the way that I treat my wife. I would be a servant of God, a servant of righteousness in the way that I am at work, in the way that I treat my waitress, in the way that I am in my car, still being sanctified in my, my car. But, uh, you know, and how I do that, I would be a servant of righteousness. See, the word shows us the way, but it cannot give us the power. We must linger in it and let God speak it to us, and we must Turn it into prayer and seek it from His grace. And this desire is awakened. It becomes powerful prayer. Oh God, make it so in me. Ian Bounds here at the end of your bulletin. No two things are more essential to a spirit-filled life than Bible reading and secret prayer. No two things are more helpful to growth in grace, to getting the largest joy out of the Christian life, toward establishing one in the ways of eternal peace. It is the neglect of these all-important duties that presages, that predicts a leanness of soul, a loss of joy, an absence of peace, a dryness of spirit, and a decay that all pertains to the life, to the spiritual life. Because all of those things are a spiritual life. This is the word that the Spirit has inspired. This is the word that he illumines and opens to our souls and uses to awaken us. Right? It is the spirit then who helps us to pray. Right? It is the spirit who brings these things home. The spiritual life. I said last time the danger in saying things like that is that we tend to think, oh, well, that's legalism. You know, if I'm not, if I don't pray 10 minutes, I don't read the Bible 10 minutes, and I don't meditate for 10 minutes, and I don't do this, I'm a bad Christian, and God doesn't please me. And please don't go there. But think of it that way. If I don't eat for a week, I'm starving, hungry, and weak. 
I don't eat for a week, I'm weak, right? I'm unhealthy, I'm not good. It's not whether you're a good person or not, but you're starving. And we need to feed our souls to find spiritual life and health. So linger long, let desire awaken, and learn to pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a God who is not silent, but a God who speaks that you have spoken to us in your word, and you are a God who, not, who does not leave us as you found us, but that you come to us and you pour out your spirit on your people, the spirit of love into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So, Father, this morning we pray that you would awaken desire. I pray that every heart here, every mind here, would be stirred toward love and good deeds, would be stirred toward a desire to experience all the good things you have designed and willed for us in promised even in your word that we would begin to ask and knock and seek and and cry out and seek from your hand and your presence and your power what we do not have in ourselves. We plead these things in the strong name of Jesus.